Let's go ahead and open our Bibles together to the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. Gospel of Mark chapter 3. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand and our volunteers will bring you a Bible. I want everyone to have one. And when you get that Bible, open up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 3 uh, is where we'll be this morning. We're continuing uh, to work through this Gospel. I think it's been about 11 or 12 sermons through the first three chapters. So uh, as they say with barbecue, we like to go low and slow with the scriptures, okay? Uh, we don't want to go too fast and, and not get all the meat off the bone. So we are now in chapter 3, and we will actually finish chapter 3 this morning. Let's talk about where we've been. So far, we've been enjoying uh, what I've come to find as these sweet narratives uh, from the life of Jesus as we've worked through this gospel this uh, past couple months. And they've been these awesome personal accounts. You know, we've shown the chosen film, right? They've been these personal accounts from the life of Jesus that I think for many of us have caused us to be refascinated with Christ and, and, and feel drawn closer to them through the text. And so as I've reflected on it, it's been very personally edifying for me and my relationship to Christ, and I'm assuming for the majority of us as well. Today, chapter 3, second half, is going to be a little different. There is a different tone to what we're going to be looking at this morning. Let me, let me give you a preview. Jesus is going to discuss the reality of Satan this morning and the reality of his kingdom of darkness and evil. And so I want to give you a bit of a, a warning to tell you this, that it's going to be, I think, what Jesus says here is very spiritually sobering. It has that kind of sobering quality to it. And, and what we're going to see is not only what Jesus says about Satan and the kingdom of evil, but, but really Jesus' beliefs behind what he says. I think what we're going to see this morning is what Jesus really believes about how our world works works about what really takes place out here in the world in our everyday lives and so i think what you're going to find here is going to be uh very enlightening very sobering and very needed uh for us as a community so first here's what we're going to do here's the roadmap we're going to go through this account okay uh of the passage verses 22 to 30. We're going to go through the account and then we're going to focus on Jesus' beliefs about the real state of the world. And that's where that sobering part is. So let's pick up uh, verse 22. What you're going to find immediately is uh, in this narrative is it begins with an emotion we're all familiar with. It's the emotion of jealousy. The religious leaders here in Jesus' day were increasingly getting jealous of Jesus' large following. This movement started out in the outskirts, in the rural areas of Israel. It grew and grew and grew, and so that even it was moving into Jerusalem, and it had a very, very, very big following. And what you find is the religious leaders, political ministers, all of those of his day were becoming more and more aggravated and jealous at what Jesus was doing. You find just back in uh, one verse, I think we have it uh, on the screen, Mark 1, to get a feel for what was going on. It reads, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
And so Jesus' fame is spreading more and more and more. And here's what happens. It's spreading so much that the religious leaders in the capital, Jerusalem, send an envoy of delegates north to investigate this whole Jesus movement. And that's where we pick up right here in verse 22. It reads this. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he, speaking of Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebul and the prince of demons. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. So you see that there? The scribes come from Jerusalem. It's an envoy of delegates. And they make this very serious accusation of Jesus. Okay? And here's what you find in the chapter. They go from questioning Jesus to plotting on how to kill Jesus. And now they're saying he has a demon. Okay? They're just finding every kind of way to tarnish and question Jesus' ministry. Their goal is simple. They're trying to silence and cancel Jesus. We're familiar with that, right? That usually happens on Twitter, on social media, on different news outlets. Back then they didn't have that. And so they sent a, a group of delegates, official pronouncement from the authorities of the day. And they're saying, he's got a demon. And he casts out demons, not by the power of God, but by the power of the devil. They're trying to smack a label on him so that people will run away. And these scribes, they were jealous of him because who's this carpenter's son? Who's this man who has no formal training, no real accreditation? He's not a real rabbi. And yet hordes and hordes of the masses are beginning to follow him. And so they're running out of options on how to cancel him. And so they go, they show up one day and they say, he's got a demon. He's possessed. He does this by the power of the devil. Notice in verse 22. Their accusation, they don't deny Jesus' power to perform miracles. They don't say this is all a farce. They don't say this is all, you know, uh, smoke and mirrors. You couldn't deny it. It was obvious. People were being healed. People were being delivered. Instead, they, they mistake the power that's coming from Jesus, not to be the power of God, but to be the power of Satan, which is a very dangerous mistake. Take a look at Jesus' response to the accusation. It picks up in verse 23. And Jesus called, called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan, Jesus says? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Let's stop there. That's his response to the accusation. It's simple logic. He's saying if a civil war breaks out in a kingdom, it's the end of that kingdom. If members of a household start to fight and divide, it's the end of that family unit. And so he says, so if the devil is fighting the devil, then the devil's kingdom is obviously coming to an end. And so he's saying your accusation doesn't even make sense. It's false. And then Jesus in the passage goes on to give an account of what's really happening, what's really taking place. And this is what he says in verse 27. He says this, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now, when you first hear that, it's like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? A strong man 
binding him, plundering his house. What's the imagery? What's the point of this imagery that Jesus is giving? Well, look at verse 27. The strong man here is Satan. So Satan is the owner of the house. And Satan has goods that he holds in his possession. Okay, because it talks about plundering those goods. And so we ask, what are those goods? Those goods are people, right? People that he has held hostage. And the reality of the scriptures is this. Satan has held humanity hostage in the house of sin and death. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is the invader of the house. He's the stronger one than Satan in verse 27, who binds Satan up so that he can free those hostages. Humanity that's been held hostage in the house of sin and death. That's what Jesus is getting at there. Let's finish the passage, and then I want to get into what's Jesus' beliefs behind all this. Okay? So Jesus ends the interaction with a really strong warning to these scribes because they made this accusation. They made the accusation that he's not doing the work of God, but the work of Satan. And so see what he says in verse 28. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Let's stop there. So Jesus is saying, it's one thing to say that I'm out of my mind, that I'm crazy, which is family said in verse 21. Go back to that. Verse 21, chapter 3. It says, and when his family, Jesus' family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind mind. Don't miss that. Jesus' siblings, most scholars believe that Joseph actually died early. And so it's Mary and a bunch of siblings. Jesus is the oldest and obviously different than the rest of his siblings. And they thought that he was going so far that he was out of his mind. They says that they went to seize him, to take him either back home or to institutionalize him. Right? But it's one thing to do that. It's one thing to say you're crazy. It's a whole other thing to attribute the work of God's spirit, as Jesus says here, to the work of the devil. And what this shows that these scribes are doing that is that these particular men are so callous and hard of heart towards God and towards what God is doing that Jesus is saying these men are in real danger of perishing, is what he's talking about without forgiveness and so he's giving these particular men not all men but these men making this accusation a really really strong warning okay that's how he ends the passage okay now here's where i want to zero in this morning i want to go back to verse 27 where jesus gives that imagery of the strong man and the the house and the goods and 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 plundering and all those different things okay and remember satan is the strong man He's holding humanity hostage, and there needs to be a savior to break in, bind Satan, and set people free. And so what I want to talk about is, what are the beliefs that Jesus is holding behind this story, behind this imagery? And I think there's three main beliefs that Jesus holds and the scriptures hold that I want to draw your attention to this morning. Okay, they go like this. Number one, Jesus believed Satan is real and his demons are real. Real. Not just back then, 
but for all time in this age. So that was a belief that Jesus had. Now, before we go any further, let me remind us of this. What is a Christian? A Christian is one who says, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I want to follow him. Whatever his thoughts are, I want to be my thoughts. Whatever his beliefs, I want to be my beliefs. I want to be totally formed by Jesus, the Son of God. And so what we're getting at here is, what did Jesus believe? Because whatever he believed, we want to believe. Belief number one from the passage, Satan and his demons are real. Ephesians 6 says this, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the Bible is telling you, put on this spiritual armor because the devil has schemes against you. The devil is real. It goes on, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I don't know if you can get any more clear than that. The Bible is saying that we wrestle, against, look at the end of the sentence, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What are the scriptures in Jesus saying here? They're saying life is not as cut and dry as you think it is out there. There are spiritual forces of evil that are wielding their power and influence over everyday affairs in our world. By the way, do you watch the news lately? Look at our world. Every time period seems to think their time period is worse than the one before it. But there's some serious shifts and some serious things happening in today's world. There's been a lot of exposure of those different evils that happen in today's world over the last few years. And so what the Bible says, not CNN or Fox News, what the Bible says is it's not just political leaders or the elite or whatever you want to say doing their own things. There's something deeper and darker behind what's happening in the world. Their language, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you, you church, you disciple, may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. First belief that I want to draw your attention to is that Satan and his demons are real. I remember a few years back, I had a subscription to a magazine called The Atlantic. It's about culture and things happening. If we can go to that next slide. Comes out uh, every uh, month, I believe, or every two months. And it's called The Atlantic. I remember in, I believe it was 2018, the cover issue for The Atlantic. This is a, it's not a Christian magazine. This is just a secular, run-of-the-mill, cultural magazine. Very popular. On the very front cover, it talked about, the headline was this, that demon possession and exorcism in the United States of America is on the rise. I, I couldn't believe it when I opened the package. The very front cover was talking about the reality that Satan and demonic powers are real and that they were charting the secular magazine an increase and demonic oppression and possession in the United States of America. The article went on and saying the need for exorcists, whether a Catholic priest or a Protestant pastor, was on the rise in the United States of America. I couldn't believe it. 
Reality is this. Satan and his demons are real. I remember talking with a missionary from India. This missionary was from the States, but he'd been in India for decades doing ministry. And he would talk about how acclimating to the Indian culture in Asia. And he would talk about how when he would go into certain religious temples, he would experience a certain kind of spiritual darkness. That his senses were heightened to a a certain presence of evil, if you will, as the scriptures talk about. And he said this, that when he would come home back from the States after five, ten years of being on the mission field, when he would come back, he said he would have the exact same experience of a presence of evil and spiritual darkness that Ephesians 6 talks about. Not when he went to religious sites, but when he went to the shopping malls. That we're here in America. I found that to be fascinating. Because often we think as Americans, as Westerners, as modern thinkers, that all that demonic and Satan stuff either doesn't happen today or happens over there in the third world. And the reality is, it happens everywhere, all the time. Jesus believes, and as disciples of him, we believe... That Satan is real and his kingdom of demonic power is real. The second thing you pick up from verse 27, where Jesus gives this imagery of the strong man and the house and needing to plunder it, is this. Second belief is this. Satan holds humanity captive. Satan holds humanity captive. Captive to what? The way the Bible talks about it is this, captive to spiritual blindness. Captive to spiritual blindness. That even if man or woman wants to see God and wants to come to the truth, that they are in their natural state blind, blinded with this captivity to the devil. 2 Corinthians 4.4 reads this. In their case, the God of this world, that's in reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Look at that language. Why? To keep them from seeing. If you're blind, you can't see. Seeing what? Seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The second belief the Bible and Jesus had is that humanity is blinded. They're captive to a blindness where they can't find God on their own. There's a passage in Acts. It's in Acts 26. It was about a few years ago. We went through Acts. I remember studying this passage. And this thing that Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, it, it, it just it stuck with me. It's very profound. It's a statement he makes. He's telling Paul about the mission that he's going to give him when Jesus visits him on the road to Damascus. So if we could go to that. It's Acts 26. It should be on the screen. You're going to find out a lot of what Jesus believes just through this statement. So Jesus is talking to the apostle Paul. And he says this. This is Jesus' words to him. He's saying, I'm delivering you to Paul from your people and from the Gentiles to, who I, to whom I am sending you. So Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to Gentiles. That's non-believers in that time. Okay? So he says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And I'm sending you to, look what Jesus says, open their eyes. 
so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's strong stuff. Jesus is saying every non-believer is in the power of Satan and not God. He goes on, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is a striking statement, and I want to unpack it. This is what Jesus says needs to happen for every single human being. They need this kind of deliverance that he elaborates on in in this chapter. Every single person you know, Jesus is saying, this needs to happen to them. Every single person you know that has yet to have been found by Christ, they need to turn from darkness to light. They need their eyes open. They need to be delivered from the power of Satan, the clutches of Satan, into the power of God. And that they need to receive divine forgiveness so that they can have a place amongst God's people. Jesus is saying this is the real state of people in our world. It's sobering stuff. It's very different than Instagram, right? We are so fed by these different images and ideas and ideologies all the time. And sometimes, especially in an Instagram world, we can think our world is way more at peace and colorful and vibrant and awesome and I want this or I want that or whatever, an Instagram lifestyle. And we can get so just dumbed down by that kind of imagery and thinking that we become totally numb to what Jesus is saying is the real state of people in our world. When I was meditating on this 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 week, and I really wanted this to, to, if we could leave that to, on the screen, I really wanted this truth to, to hit me, to settle in with me. I had to start thinking about people I know. I had to start thinking about my life before I met Christ. Because y'all, look, I, I'm not up here to, to give a pep talk and, and make you feel all nice and rosy and walk out and all that kind of great stuff. I, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is going to the main source and seeing what it says. That's what we do. And what I want to do is I want to go to the words of Jesus. These aren't my ideas or my thoughts. These are the very words of Christ Jesus. And so I just was meditating on this and I said, Lord, bring people to mind. And you guys know I like to play pickleball and I've met so many people in the community by playing pickleball. I've had so many conversations with them about life and religion and there's a few people that I'm, you know, God's just kind of highlighted and a friendship has started and I'm, I'm looking forward to witnessing to them and having these conversations with them. And I had to think about those particular people, names, names I could give you right now. And say, Jesus, you're saying that that's the state they're in? That this is your truth, your logic, the ultimate. This is, you're saying, this is how things truly are. And this is the kind of deliverance that needs to happen. It's not easy to face that reality. It's easy to kind of read it, 
Say, amen, hallelujah, amen, and move on. It's a lot more difficult to let this really sink in to your new perspective. And so let's just walk through it. What Jesus is saying here is five things. And they go like this. People are spiritually blind. That's number one. Number two, what he's saying here is that people are captivated by darkness. They're in the dark. Under the sway of evil. Thirdly, they're held hostage by the power of Satan. To me, that's the most striking one. Number four, they've not received divine forgiveness of their sins. And number five, they don't yet have a place among God's people. And so what I put before you this morning is that this is what Jesus believes about each and every person. And he believes that each and every person must be divinely delivered from this state of being. This is why Jesus came to the world. And so I just want to pause here. And I just want to ask, do we believe what Jesus believes? Do I see people in the state that he describes? Do I see him that way? Do I see people like he does? And if not, have I been captivated by a different worldview? Have I been captivated by a different perspective? One that says, everything is fine. Everything's fine. One that says, with enough self-help and self-esteem, everyone's going to be fine. With the right political leaders in office and the right legislation and the right changes we need in society, everything's going to be fine. One that says there's no divine saving and salvation that needs to be performed. People grow and they figure it out. Friends, it's my belief that it's so easy to let all the movies and all the podcasts and all the news outlets and all the rest control our beliefs and our perspectives more than Christ. And often not on purpose. Every Christian here, if I ask you, who's number one? Who's your main authority? Who do you go to for your beliefs and your outlook on the world? You say, well, Jesus, of course. He's the son of God. We'd all say that. But I think when we get under the layers and examine, how do I really see the world? How do I really interact with people? What are my hopes and dreams? What am I pursuing? I think often that exposes layers where I've been more captivated by the worldview and philosophies of the world than I have Christ. Remember coming across these two verses in Colossians when I was coming out of college and was very influenced by my university, some might even say a bit indoctrinated by some of the thought, it was really hard to be a Christian and hold some of this new stuff I was hearing and, and intention and what's real and what's not. And I remember coming to this verse in Colossians, if we could go to that. Uh, maybe the next one. Colossians 2. Let's go to the next slide, maybe. One more. Did I not put it in? Sorry, no. No, I did not. <laughs> Let me read it to you. It's Colossians 2, verse 8. 
It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So it's saying, don't be taken captive by things according to human tradition, things that aren't according to Christ. And then it goes on to say why we should have Christ as the supreme influence of our lives. It says, for in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. CNN, Fox News, pick which one you like. Republican Party, Democrat Party, pick, pick which one you like. Whatever podcaster, Joe Rogan or whoever else, pick which one you like. We can't say about them that all the fullness of deity dwells in them. Tucker Carlson, Don Lemon, I, I mean, I keep going. It doesn't say of them in the scriptures that all the fullness of deity dwells in them and they are the head of all rule and authority. It says that about one person. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so I don't want to be caught captive. It doesn't mean don't listen to. Of course you're going to listen to certain news outlets. That's great. So do I. Of course you're going to have certain people that uh, you hold as a certain kind of expert and authority on a certain kind of field. That's great. It's called life. But ultimately... What can happen to a Christian is they can be taken captive without even knowing it. And the majority of their outlooks are not formed by Christ, but formed by someone else. Let's, let's keep going. We have one last one, the third one. So first one that Jesus holds is that Satan and his demons are real. Second one is that Satan holds humanity captive. The third one is this. Satan must be disarmed and humanity must be delivered. That's what Jesus believes. That's why Jesus came. Let's look at those three verses that were together uh, that we have on the screen. Look at this. The, the reason the Son of God appeared, I love that, it's so black and white, was to destroy the works of the devil. Well, thank you. That's helpful. We can understand that. Colossians 2 is that whole disarming idea. He, being Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. That's at the cross. So not only do they need to destroy and disarm, they need to be, humanity needs to be delivered. This is Colossians 1. Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The greatest news of our world, the greatest headline that could ever be run is this, that Christ has come and has delivered humanity from the kingdom of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Every single person can be personally delivered by receiving the gospel. That is Jesus's, that is God's truth and logic. It is supreme. There is nothing that can take away from what God says is true about the state of humanity and its need that is fulfilled in the work of Christ. It's the most important reality of our world. This is what leads Paul to say in Romans 1. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation, for being saved, delivered. And he says, to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Believing is receiving the gospel. And the Apostle Paul says that the gospel has this innate power of Almighty God to deliver you out of the clutches of Satan, sin, and death and into the benevolent kingdom of God. This is the most important reality that faces our world. Paul's saying here that the gospel is like this power breaker that delivers each and every person who believes it. There's nothing else according to scripture that our world needs more than this power-breaking gospel to deliver people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And so here's where I want to close. If all that's true, Pastor, if you've shown us enough scripture, if you've shown us Jesus' thinking, if if you've put it out there clearly, and all that's true, then I want to say this to us as a community of faith. The takeaway is this. May we give ourselves to the words and the worldview of Jesus actively. Because if you don't do it actively, you're not going to get it. If we don't daily swim in the book, if we don't daily make our home here, and you got to figure out how, I don't know if you're an early morning person, a late night person. I don't think Jesus cares. I just think he wants you in the book. It doesn't matter when or how. Pick a translation. That doesn't matter. There's a couple I might tell you to ignore, but overall, you're fine. Get in the book. Right? For you, if you're, I get it. Some weeks are just doggone busy. Let me tell you about something. It's called a smartphone. Download the Bible app. Put it on audio. You're going to be driving somewhere? Listen to scripture. I mean, that's helped me so much. I I overslept or the kids needed a lot of attention. I didn't get my time in the scriptures. Just put it on in the car. Just listen to it. It's free. Someone reads to you. Sometimes I'm too tired. Sometimes I'm too tired to even read. They read to you. Scripture. Romans talks about renew the mind, and we renew the mind. We make our mind new. We get it out of the old patterns that that aren't true, that are false, that aren't fully colored in by God's truth. We we, we get out of those. We make our mind new by being in the Word. And so may we give ourselves to the words and worldview of Jesus. Second thing, may we give ourselves to the witness and wonder of the gospel. These aren't my truths. This is what Jesus is saying. And I love being a preacher because all I got to do is just, well, that's what Jesus said. You don't like it? Well, I don't always like it either, but it's what Jesus said. I just throw it out. It's the easiest thing. I don't understand preachers that don't just go by the book. That's a hard job if you're doing it the other way. This is what Jesus says about the glorious gospel. And so may we give ourselves to the witness and to the wonder of it. But it's that powerful. And may we let its power lay hold of us every day. Every day I want to wake up, and I don't do it every day, I should. I want to wake up and I just say, Lord, thank you for your gospel. That that becomes the most dominant reality in my life. 
that this very thing has saved me forever in eternity. That I'm, I'm a part of what Jesus is. I'm a part of the sanctified by belief in him. I'm a part of the people of God. I want that to be the most dominant reality. Not what meeting I have today or what conflict I have or how much more money I need or anything else. God, I want to be dominated by the reality of the good news of the gospel every day. And lastly, may we give ourselves to sharing Christ's gospel with those who will listen. It's the very thing every person needs that you will ever come in contact with. Just that, just that, that truth right there. Lord, let that become my lens. John Calvin said, we read the Bible so that the Bible becomes our glasses, the lens through which we look out on the world. God's truth. And so, Lord, help us to see that what every person needs is the gift of the gospel. It's the greatest gift that God has ever given the world, and so we want to be generous with it. Now, I get it. We don't always know how to share the gospel. Sometimes we're nervous and don't know how to go about it. Here's what I'd tell you. Just pray. Is there someone in your life that you want to see come to know God and follow him? First step, just pray. Everyone can do that. They don't know you're praying for them. You can keep that a secret. Just pray. And befriend that person. And as life happens, look for those moments to share the witness of Christ. All you got to do is just be honest about your relationship to him. And it's wild to see God's spirit. What the Bible says is that the gospel has innate power. That when you put it out there, it starts to do things to people. And I'm eternally grateful. I've said it a thousand times here. But for this guy named Devin Vernick, who wasn't the coolest kid in the world. But in high school, he found ways to share Jesus with me. It was a four-year-long process of me running away. But as he shared the gospel with me, it had this power to work on my heart. And as time went on, God brought me to himself. And so, may we be encouraged by that. May we be challenged by that. I told you this morning was going to be sobering. I don't get to pick the passage. The passage picks itself. But I'm very grateful that we had this conversation about these truths. Amen?